The dream of home ownership for many Canadians remains out of reach, which is why political parties are banging the drum about affordable housing in this election campaign, trying to get your support. Will it work? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. According to Nanos Research, almost 5 million Canadians fear they won't be able to pay for their housing in the next 30 days. That's an enormous burden on people trying to navigate their way through the fourth wave of the pandemic, possibly dealing with employment issues. Our unpublished.vote question asks you, which federal party has the best plan to create affordable housing? The Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Green Party, or the People's Party of Canada. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Now, coming up on the show, Dr. Paul Kershaw will join us from UBC. He's also the founder of Generation Squeeze. First, I'm pleased to be joined by Nick Nanos, Chief Data Scientist and founder of Nanos Research. And Nick, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you and your viewers. Well, it's, it's been a while. Now, this uh, issue of affordable housing, is this fueled by the pandemic or did the pandemic accentuate the problem? Oh, you know what? Affordable housing and homelessness has been simmering for quite a long time. And, you know, a lot of it had to do with millennials not thinking that they'd be able to own like their parents' home or a home like uh, like the ones that their parents had. But the pandemic has actually put a significant extra level of pressure because it has been a super, super hot real estate market. The price of homes are going up and that's putting pressure not just on affordability if someone wants to buy at home, that's also putting pressure on the rental market. And to your point, you know, 5 million Canadians are unsure, are worried about whether they'd be able to pay the rent in the next 30 days. So this isn't something in the future. This is a, a concern that we should be all worried about right now. Now, you mentioned the rental market. How does that impact the rental market? Well, what happens is, is as, as soon as houses start to appreciate, then if a home happens to be a rental home, it starts to, you know, property taxes go up, everything goes up. And as a result, uh, the prices go up even for renters. And I think part of the challenge right now, you know, what's interesting is, you know, people talk about what the solutions might be, but part of the challenge is just supply. Like you can have, you can have all these fancy policies to help people on housing affordability, but if there aren't more houses, if there aren't enough houses for people to buy, if the market is tight, then I'm not sure whether a lot of these policies could actually work because it's just like, I guess it's like putting kind of, cake icing on the cake, right? It's mm. not the cake. We've got to fix the cake, uh, but uh, and not focus on what I'll say, some of those policies that dress it up. You know, when we talk about uh, affordability, housing affordability, uh, is the issue about rising prices, uh, about the price going up, or would it be the lack of of employment for, for those f folks? Oh, boy, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a one-two punch. Right. You know, the, the other interesting thing is that when we ask Canadians whether they think that the next generation will have a higher, lower, or the same standard of living than today's generation. The vast majority think that the next generation will have a lower standard of living. You know, the other thing is, is that for you know millennials, our research that we suggest that we've done suggests that millennials want to own a home, but they they can't even get into the market uh, at all. And at the same time, wages are not increasing mm -hmm. at, at the same pace that uh, the cost of housing is. So it's it's like a one-two punch. For, uh, for folks trying to figure out how they can just pay for housing. Now, in, in terms of the millennials, and you know, this is, this is the, uh, I guess, the gig economy that they talk about, not exactly the, what banks are looking for for stability for, for lending. Is, is this part of the problem too? 
Well, you know, I think banks have to take part of the burden, but, mm-hmm. you know, the fact of the matter is it's like, a, you know, on the one hand, we'd had governments that want to, that in the past have loosened the rules, like the 30-year amortization. Ed, do you think, do you think our parents would have gone for a 30-year amortization? They would have gone, nope. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, and, you know, as opposed to an amortization where people can actually have a chance to pay off their home within their lifetime. So the reality is the banks have a job to do. It's to make money. Their job is to make money. It's not necessarily to help people. It's to pay dividends to bank shareholders. And I think this is where what we need is not just the federal government. The federal government's got to work with the provincial government and with municipalities. How do we build better housing? How do we build more housing? How is there more housing choice and competition in the marketplace so that people can afford it as opposed to what we're seeing now, which is these crazy bidding wars. People are bidding and buying homes and they're not even seeing them. Oh, I know. So and, and, you know, it just speaks to the problem. Nick Nanos joining us from Nanos Research as we talk about affordable housing in the federal election campaign. And you know, okay, we talk about the millennials, the old Canadians, so they see they see their home as an investment or an investment in retirement. It, it yeah. seems millennials and the older folks are, are going in the two different directions here. Absolutely. And you know, the thing is, is think of it this way. If housing becomes more affordable, part of that is prices go down. Well, that's not good if you're like 75 years old or 55 years old and you're thinking of your downsizing and your house being your retirement investment. Because the other thing that we do know is that someone's home, if someone is a homeowner, that is usually their single largest investment that they have. You know, like when they read the newspaper, when they see a house down the street sell for more, they're fist pumping. If they see prices go down in their neighborhood or a price that they don't like, they're clutching their chest thinking, how am I going to retire? So this isn't just as this isn't just as easy as lowering prices to help younger people because it's going to have a materially negative knock-on effect for seniors that are looking or people that are just getting ready to retire because the house that they think is worth 10 bucks, why don't we say, sure. is now worth eight bucks. You know, the conservatives and liberals both say that they would ban foreign ownership for two years. And, and okay, we talk about supply and demand. Would that even make a difference in terms of supply? Well, it would only make a difference in some of these high density urban markets like Vancouver and Toronto. Like we we know from the research that's out there that most of the foreign owners happen to be in Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto and downtown Montreal. They're not they're not buying stuff in the burbs. You know, they're buying stuff like condos in, uh, you know, in tall, tall skyscrapers in downtown areas. So it can help that market, but it doesn't help the broader market because the other thing that we're seeing in our research is there are some Canadians that are swapping out downtown living for the suburbs because of the pandemic and teleworking or even in rural areas because they want to have the space. And, you know, that that's an interesting thing, I would say. Uh, you know, when you look at prices being so high, the demand uh, so high, supply so low in those major markets, and it seems a lot of these younger people want to stay in major markets, which is fine. But if you can't afford it, maybe you do move to a smaller market to, to get that first house and start from there. Absolutely. And, you know, this is where telework comes in, the future of telework and how will that yeah. work? Because it is possible now for, I'll say, new families that want to buy the starter home that can't afford to, to basically live close to work which is the old paradigm, mm-hmm. if they can manage to telework, that actually gives them a fighting chance to get something that they can afford. And that can also be of a certain size so that they can telework and have the space to raise a family. So that could definitely be one path forward for a lot of these millennials. 
Uh, Nick, do you affordability is up at the at the top with Canadians right now? Do you see that staying there through this election campaign? Oh, absolutely. Because you know the thing is, it it it's important to young people, middle aged people, and old old folks. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you're male, woman, left, right, whatever. Mm. You've got to have a place to live, and I think that's why all the parties have been aggressive on dealing with and having a vision for housing affordability. Nick, I want to thank you for joining us. Great to join you. Nick Nanos is the chief data scientist and founder at Nanos Research. While each federal party panders for your vote, you wonder whether any of the plans about affordable housing have a chance at success. Paul Kershaw is the founder of Generation Squeeze, as well as associate professor at the School of Population and Public Health at UBC, and he joins us now. And Paul, affordable housing has been promised in the past, and still here we are with the same issue. Why is that? Well, there's a good news and a bad news issue going on. The good news is that actually all of the party's platforms are getting better. Uh, It is the case that we do see these party leaders promising to run faster to address housing affordability than we have seen parties promise in the past. That's a positive. But the metaphor I'll share with you is it's like an escalator that's going up really, really quickly. The escalator is housing prices. And the party leaders are trying to say, we'll run down faster than we ever have before. But they can't run fast enough to compensate for the escalator going up. And why is that the case? This gets to the bad news. No party leader yet is promising to do the following. They're not saying that we should have home prices to stall in order to restore affordability for all by giving earnings a chance to catch up. And if we don't have our parties explicit that we no longer want home prices to rise, we are not going to win the day on affordability because our system is just tolerating year after year after year home prices going like this. Well, earnings are flat and down, especially for younger people. You know, Canada enjoys one of the, one of the highest rates of home ownership in the world. Why, why is this generation having so much difficulty? Well, because for the last several decades, we have prioritized squeezing out as much wealth from our housing system as possible for those who are homeowners, especially in some of our bigger cities. But the moment we start squeezing that wealth up by tolerating home prices rising and rising when earnings don't, we leave less affordability behind. And so I think what the the reason why young folks right now are having greater challenges with the housing system is because we've oriented our, our economic growth strategies around the following issues. Real estate now is the biggest part of Canada's economy, representing 14% of our GDP. Is that good? Is that bad? Well, I think it'd be fine if about 14% of Canadians found employment in that sector. But we don't. Fewer than 2% of Canadians find employment in that sector. And that means that our economic growth strategy has been growing the major cost of living, The small number of people who work in real estate rental leasing get pretty darn good earnings. Owners get wealth windfalls, but everybody else is getting, uh, you know, getting their hard work not paying off like it used to in terms of earnings keeping pace with our major cost of living. And so we need to reorient our entire economic growth strategy to say, we're going to grow the economy by slowing home prices, letting earnings catch up. So affordability is baked back into our cities. And when they're affordable, people will be able to start these great businesses and industries. And that's what's going to fuel our economy uh, going forward. And how do we get these earnings to rise? It's not just simple to say, you know, everybody gets a raise. No, exactly. 
Exactly. And that is why we have to double down on the commitment to slow home prices down. So we do live in a global context where we have other countries with more modest earnings and Canadians do on average, which has a dampening influence on our earnings. Uh, that has been a challenge. That's one reason why we had this sort of flat pace of earnings and, and actually uh, uh, declined by thousands of dollars in earnings for young people after inflation. The easier thing for us to do is to actually say we want to change what we want from housing. We don't want housing anymore to be primarily investment strategies for people. We want them primarily to be a place to call home. And we have to reorient all of our policies around that first goal, homes first, investments second. And if we do that, we can reconsider a range of factors, both our zoning to ensure that we add additional supply, more purpose-built rental, we resist nimbyism, we're going to have to adjust some of our tax policy, and we're going to need to rethink the degree to which we've been fueling our economy during recessions with these ultra-low interest rates. You understand why that's happening, but it is definitely having collateral damage in the housing system because the low interest rates support people bidding more than ever on home prices. When you bid more than ever, you fuel the prices up. Mm -hmm. And that grows the gap between what people earn and what their major cost of living is. And it hurts those who follow in our footsteps. It helps people like me, who's a homeowner. I've been getting wealthier while I sleep, eat, and watch television. But we now need people like me to join in course and say, ah, no, but we have kids and grandchildren and other family members we care about who we know are currently renters who may one day aspire to own a home. We want to have something different from our housing system, which is affordability for all. And that's a laudable goal, but you have a lot of people who, and you mentioned the home is their retirement investment. Um, they're not really going to want to give that up. Well, I think there's a difference between giving it up and saying we don't want home prices to continue to rise. At the very least, let's just agree on that. So we're not asking anyone to some degree to say, oh, I have to contemplate like a, a massive reduction in my home equity. There are many younger people who might like that so that they could get into the housing system. But I think that the sweet spot for a conversation to at least begin is, can we not converge around the idea we don't want between now and the next number of years, home prices to continue to go up? We've seen dramatic windfalls that have occurred, including during the recession. Over the recession, any homeowner on average is going to be gaining substantial wealth. The average is like 25% increase in their home equity. We don't want that year over year over year. And since we've had such big wealth windfall increases of late, let's agree that it's okay to stall for the time being so that we can try and recalibrate our housing system to prioritize homes first, investment second. You know, with an increase in affordable housing, uh, it still won't bring prices down. How do you stall those prices then? Well, it is the interaction of supply and demand. So we do want to continue to talk about growing supply and growing in particular supply of homes that people can raise their families in. So a lot of the supply we've been bringing on of late is for condos that are studios or one bedrooms, which, you know, coming at a price point that's quote unquote, you know, affordable-ish because it's lower, but, you know, really hard for a family to be raising their kid, you know, two kids in a studio or even a one bedroom place. You're using your closet a lot as a, be as a bedroom and that's not optimal. So building units that have three bedrooms for families, rentals that have three bedrooms and resisting people saying, we can't have rental here. We never have before. We have to add rental where we haven't in the past. But then we can more generally be thinking about how we dial down some harmful kinds of demand. This is an election where you see parties talking about that. The conservatives are wanting to put a two-year moratorium on uh, foreign purchases of residential real estate. The liberals have matched that. That's an interesting next step going beyond what we've already tried with foreign buyers taxes or non-resident speculation taxes, as you call it in Ontario. 
Uh, we've got the liberals saying, hey, we are going to finally take some action to discourage house flipping. Someone who buys a home and then within 12 months, they're flipping it. They're not there aiming to make a home. They're aiming there to make a good investment return. That kind of practice is damaging for affordability. We can discourage that. We can discourage the money laundering, uh, et cetera. But what we haven't done is more generally ask Canadians or many Canadians to try and break our addiction to high and rising home prices. And we continue to tolerate the idea that we want two things from housing. We want it to be a place to call home and we want it to be a really big part of our wealth accumulation strategy to save for the future. You can't have both. If it's a good investment uh, return, it's by definition be going to growing in value faster than local earnings. But that is exactly the recipe to erode affordability. So we have to now make this decision and break the addiction of like we want housing to be a primary savings strategy, uh, or at least a primary wealth accumulation strategy, and shift it more to a primary home making strategy. Paul, I want to thank you for joining us. You're most welcome. Have a great day. Paul Kershaw is the founder of Generation Squeeze, as well as associate professor at the School of Population and Public Health at UBC. Our unpublished vote question asks, which federal party has the best plan to create affordable housing? The Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Green Party, or the People's Party of Canada? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank our guest today, Nick Nanos at Nanos Research and Paul Kershaw of UBC. And I want to thank you for watching The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.